Hey everyone, and welcome to the Smell Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boateng. This week, please join me in listening to an interview with Colin, who currently lives in Alberta, Canada. Colin has struggled with chronic sinus issues his entire life, and as a result, he deals with bouts of both prosmia and anosmia. So let's jump in and listen to our interview. Hi, Colin. Welcome to the Smell Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So as usual, let's just kind of get started. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up and where do you live now? Um, I currently live in Canada, so let's work backwards. Um, I live in Calgary, Alberta, um, but I was born in Jamaica in the Caribbean. Um, I've lived in, in Canada now for about 15 years. I also lived in the U.S. for about 10 years before I moved here. Nice. How long were you um, in Jamaica? Um, I, I was there until after high school. So I was there for about three years after high school. I think I left when I was 19. Okay. So you've been all over the world then. That's pretty I cool. I have, yes. So living in Calgary, Alberta, what brought you up to that area of the world? Um, I think it was just kind of uh, looking for something new. And I'd lived in, in Florida for a very long time. And to be honest, I really didn't like it there. So um, we had just kind of looked around the world and tried to find another place that may have good opportunities and, you know, good amenities and a place to live and, you know, places that have jobs. And so my partner back then, my, uh, we basically just made a list of places and we came to Calgary and we never left. That's pretty cool. Very, yeah. uh, very nice and organized way to find a new place to live. Yes. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about your anosmia story? What's, what's the background with you? So my story, I think, is a little bit different. I think, first of all, I'm not 100% anosmic. I think probably 95%. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always had um, issues with my sinuses as a child growing up. In Jamaica, when I was a kid, sinusitis and those kind of things weren't, I guess, common ailments. I think people are a little bit more resilient, I think, there. But nonetheless, um, I remember always having you know, a cold, but I, I now that I I recall it's it makes sense that um, this was probably related to to my sinuses having some problems. I remember at one point when I was around six, my mom had mentioned that you know I had a sinus problem. I think that was the first time you know I ever heard the word sinuses in my entire life, to be honest. And and I think my my mom also had some of the same problems. I think she was the only other person that I know. She was always clearing her throat, and it was because of that postnasal drip kind of thing. I, I think. My dad also has some problems, but he didn't live in, he's not from that area where we, I had grown up, um, but mm. he also had some issues as well. But I found that out later on in my life. I didn't know at the time. Mm. Um, and my symptoms at that point would be triggered by pretty much anything. So I was one of those kids that was literally always sick, always had a cold, always have a runny nose or some problem of some sort. But I was officially diagnosed with having rhinitis when I was 18. I remember I was working on a shipping port at the time. And it was kind of like a dusty, um, smoky kind of um, environment, like industrial environment. And I basically would have back-to-back sinus infections all the time. And my doctor diagnosed me and said, yeah, you have um, non-allergic rhinitis or basically anything would trigger it. And that's essentially the first time I was officially diagnosed. Um, Up to that point, I had never gotten any form of treatment either. It was just one of those things. Um, I think in my head, like when I think of Jamaica, it seems like it would be like tropical. So like the cold and having a sinus infection all the time, like doesn't fit in in my head. So that's probably why no one ever like 
heard of it, you know? Yes, it's not a, because it's, humidity is usually one of the things that that um, affect, you know, your the, the health of your sinuses and it's uh-huh. a very humid place. So there definitely was something wrong for me still to be having, you know, rhinitis and those kind of problems, even though I was in this richly humid place and that was warm all the time. It was warm year round. Uh, quite That's hot, interesting. Actually. Yeah. So you would consider yourself maybe um, congenitally being impacted? Yes. So basically what the doctor had said, he had done one of those scope things and um, he had said basically the, the lining in my in my sinuses were, <laughs> he said, the lining is worn out. And like, you basically doesn't, you, I don't have anything in, you know, my, the lining in my sinuses is totally worn out. That's basically what he had said, but mm-hmm. it could be just kind of like a, he was basically trying to explain to me how, I guess, deteriorated my, the lining in my sinuses were. Um, and mm-hmm. essentially my sinuses, based on what he explained and other doctors have said that too, it's, it's basically flushed red all the time. Um, gotcha. So every time I've gone to the doctor, it was kind of like fully inflamed, just fully all out. Wow. Yeah. And so I had moved to, to, to the U S and the problems persisted and I would, I, it's the first time I started getting regular treatment for it. And I, there was a product called Flonase. You may have heard of it. And mm-hmm. I've been taking that pretty much for, for many, many years. I think at one point, one of my doctors basically gave up and she said, I'm going to give you a refill for a hundred, a hundred refills for, for Flonase. Um, there's nothing that she could do for me and she wished me good luck. Wow. <laughs> and that, that, that kind of was it. But do I you was feel like Flonase was helpful? Sorry. Do you feel like Flonase was very helpful for you? I don't think so. I think because my sinuses would get irritated by seasonal allergies I think it may help with seasonal allergies, but I don't think it helped the underlying condition that I had. Mm. Um, and for the most part, most of the medication that I've taken, I don't think any of them have really made a big difference, to be honest. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So, so, and I was always able to smell and taste. Everything was fine. Um, even though, you know, when I'm obviously when I'm fully sick, then, you know, your sense, sense of smell and taste would go down. But as soon as I'm, well, again, everything would be back to normal and that would be fine. But I, I had a partner when I was in Florida and she had uh, cats and we moved with the cats to, to, to Canada. <laughs> and during that time, I think that was the worst of it. I would have six, eight sinus infections in a year. Um, it would be so bad that the doctor started giving me prednisone with my antibiotics because there was just so much inflammation. And he thought that probably what was causing it is that inflammation would just never go away. Got it. In 2009, we separated and the cats were gone and I thought everything was fine. I, for a while, it seemed as if I wasn't sick anymore. The, the symptoms had kind of, I guess, taken a step back, but the weirdest thing happened in, in winter of 2010. So it's around January, February of 2010. I went snowboarding with a friend and she had, I think she smoked in the car at one point. She didn't smoke while I was in the car, but she must have smoking, uh, smoked in the car before. Okay. And when I got in the car, I could smell it as kind of one of those rolled tobacco cigarettes with, those, with a little plastic tip. That's what mm-hmm. it smelled like because I had friends who had smoked that before. And <laughs> the funny thing happened is after I came back from snowboarding, I smelled cigarette, that cigarette in my nose for like a month. Um, wow. So that I had the phantom smell and that was essentially the only thing that I would smell for the entire month. And so that was the very first time that I had any recollection of having 
or started to have some anosmia. And after that was essentially where the wheels started to fall off. Yeah, I just, so I, I can remember what cigarette smoke smells like. And then I think the one that you're describing is kind of more like a spicy tobacco. So like it the is. smell Correct. is different. I can imagine that and how frustrating and distracting that would be to have that in your head for like a month. Yes. The the funny thing about that was anything else that I smelt, it would trigger the sensation of the cigarettes. Wow. So it wasn't like it was, I was smelling it 24 sevens nonstop. It was kind of like if I smelled, you know, French fries, it would, I basically would interpret it as the cigarette instead. And so that was what was really weird was anything yeah. that triggered my senses at all would trigger this burnt, you know, spiced tobacco smell. Um, yeah. So it was a little bit frustrating. So it it was almost kind of like everything else was kind of distorted around the smell of cigarettes. Yeah, it sounds like parosmia. <laughs> yeah. And so that eventually went away. Um, oh, good. Yeah, it it went away, you know, sometime probably forever by March, by spring, um, it went away. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Everything's back to normal. And, you know, I could smell again and everything was fine. But then that same year, I went to Kathmandu, um, to Nepal. Mm -hmm. I was there for a month. And everything seemed to be fine until I came back. And when I came back, the smell of Nepal was stuck in my head um, this time for like three months. And when I had just gotten back, I had thought I had... You know, just because I was eating the food and my clothes would have smelled like it, I thought maybe that's what, what the case was. And so, you know, I would wash my clothes over and over again. I would take showers. And then I thought maybe I'm just sweating it out. And, you know, I was, oh, I've got to do a, a, a flush of my body and I'm drinking so much water to try to see if there's a way for me to get rid of the smell. And then it kind of hit me like, oh, like, you know, a month in, I was like, it's the same situation. I'm having this um, phantom smell again. Mm -hmm. uh, but this time it was kind of like, um, I'm not quite sure how to explain the smell that I had in Nepal, but it was kind of like a a mixture of food and kind of, I want to say that it smelled like curry, but I ate a lot of dal and um, that kind of food. And so it was that kind of a sensation smell that I had, um, but it lasted for like three months. Maybe it kind of just got stuck. It got stuck. And it was following that trip that I started to notice that my sense of smell started to deteriorate. And mm. by 2013 or so, I had lost probably 95% of my sense of smell or taste. And okay. it was pretty much gone. When I'm sick, like so for months of a, months at a time, I can't smell or taste anything. So whenever I have a sinus infection, my sinus infections would last for weeks at a time. And then even after that, I would still be kind of um, congested. And so for months at a time, I smell absolutely nothing. Um, but even when I can, it it's kind of distorted and just kind of like a faint, distorted sensation of something. But not mm. really, I really can't tell what it is. I just know that there's something in the air. Is that where you're currently at? At this very moment, I cannot smell a thing because I've I've been sick since the middle of uh, December. Right. Um, so I've had this recurring sinus problem. Whenever I do, I usually have two rounds of it for some reason. And I'm hmm. on my second leg now. So at this at this time, since the middle of December, I haven't smelled a lick. Not a thing. Wow, that's so frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I want to ask this question, and I don't want it to seem insensitive. Do you feel that it's better when it's completely gone or when you can kind of smell something and it's distorted? It's definitely better when it's completely gone. 
Okay. Yeah. It's, it's the most frustrating thing when you, because you're constantly trying to figure out what it is. So it's more mm. of a nuisance than it is any real sensation that you can appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I smell something, I don't, when I get a, 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 a faint sensation of something, I don't know what it is. And so I'm trying to, to think and process and taking deep breath and trying to figure out what it is. And 99% of the time I never do. And it's very frustrating. And uh, to, to explain how frustrating it is, I can't taste the difference between black tea. So I don't know the difference between Earl Grey and just a regular black tea anymore. I can't smell or taste or get the sensation of bergamot. Mm. Um, I smell coffee, but it's once in a while, but it's distorted. So I have to tell you, it's one of the most foul smells I could have. (laughs) I could smell um, whenever I do. It doesn't smell like what I remember coffee being. It's just kind of like a weird, distorted, burnt smell. Well, that takes away from like going into coffee shops and stuff. I don't, I usually go to tea shops instead. Yeah. 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 So whenever I get a sensation, it's distorted and it's not pleasant. And it's more frustrating than anything else. In a sense, I kind of prefer when I just don't have anything at all, just live in the void. Yeah. Well, no, I've heard that from other people too. So I don't think that it's an odd response at all. Others have said the same thing, that it's better to have nothing than something distracting. Yes. Unfortunately. So I know this is kind of off topic from the questions that I had for you ahead of time, but I mean... Are you currently seeing any kind of ENT or someone who's aware of your situation? I know you see someone for like the the sinuses and things like that, but have you seen anyone specifically for like the prosmia and phantosmia? It it has always been the reason why I kind of seek out, um, you know, help. And mm-hmm. I have gone to many specialists. So I've gone to head doctors, uh, the ENTs. I've gone to other doctors who are um, allergists. I, I went to an allergist recently. Um, uh-huh. I went to a, a doctor who specialized in, in immunology um, because someone had told me that there was a relationship between inflammation and um, some of your white blood cells and is triggered by, by um, eosinophils. So I had gone to a doctor trying to explore if that was potentially a part of my problem. Mm. Um, I have gone to, since I've lived in Canada, I've gone to maybe four or five different ENTs and I've been to multiple allergies, maybe five or six. But I think this is the most frustrating part of my ordeal is that I don't think that my case is as bad as people who just can't smell at all, who one day just woke up and it's totally gone. I think it's very clear that mine is related to my sinus problems. And I think it's a little bit frustrating that they really can't, put a finger on exactly what is going on that has caused it. And it's kind of like a routine when you go to an ENT or, or, a, an, or a, an allergist, they have a, an approach to how they do their diagnosis and it usually involves doing a scratch test or in the case of the ENT, they do an, a, a CT scan or, a, or, mm-hmm. or, or some other form of um, soft tissue scan. And usually nothing has changed since the last time I'd done one. Um, so now when I go to a doctor, I kind of put my foot down, like I'm not doing another scratch test. I'm not doing another CT scan because there's nothing has changed since that last time I did it. Right. Um, but they, they, uh, they come up with nothing. They, the, the, the funny thing is that I, 
the doctor that has spent the most time trying to figure out my problem was the last doctor I saw. And she, she basically spent two hours with me, which was kind of weird. Most doctors don't spend 15 minutes. Um, but she could tell that I was really frustrated. And I explained to her um, how many other professionals I had seen. And she was recommended by another doctor in Ontario that I had found online. And so she, that doctor recommended I go see this lady. Mm-hmm. And she spent two hours going through my entire medical history, looking at all my medications I've taken. And then in the end, she said, she's, she's really sorry to tell me, but there's absolutely nothing she could do. And she wouldn't even recommend any medication because she doesn't mm-hmm. think it's going to work. Um, and in a sense, it was kind of a bummer, but I was really, I was, it was really touched by her honesty. Um, yeah, kind of refreshing. It was, re- it was very refreshing. Even It was sad for me that there was no answer still, but at least she didn't kind of waste my time and string me along to do a whole bunch of tests and waste time and money to do it. And just, I think maybe just even the experience of being listened to for that long yes. is also helpful. Yes. Uh, that's one of the other things that's really, I guess, frustrating with um, with this kind of problem is that I don't think anyone could appreciate it. No, I think most people can't simulate what it's like mm-hmm. to have it. So even when you're talking to a doctor, um, if this is not their specialty, it seems like they have no idea what you're talking about. They're just mm-hmm. like staring at you. So it was kind of nice for her to admit that right off the bat that she, that she doesn't think she could help. Yeah, I mean, and I think that little by little things are improving in terms of like anosmia and other olfactory disorders being more recognized and like being that people are aware of it, that it's actually a thing. I think like the Facebook communities, like the goal of this podcast, and then there's organizations like Monell and Fifth Sense and Absent, like I think slowly but surely it's it's getting better, but we're still like, in my opinion, light years behind a lot of the other senses. Yes, that's true. I've I've often I've often said that if we if if this this type of disorder had gotten a quarter of the attention, both in terms of research and and attention as say you know hearing or seeing, yeah. I think you know who would have been so far ahead. But unfortunately, I think it's because it's not a necessarily debilitating ailment or issue. Yeah. Um, we could still live. We you know we're not going to walk off a cliff. Um, we're not going to burn our hands on something because we can't uh, feel or something like that. So yeah. it's not as severe in terms of the effect that it has on our, our quality of life or, you know, our, our, you know, our ability to live, our survival. I right. think maybe that's why it's just not as important, perhaps. Yeah, I agree. And I've said this again, and I'll continue to say it. I think it's also the fact that you can't see anything physically wrong. Um, that has a ton to do with it as well. So Correct. like if, if our noses was like, you know, twisted to one side whenever this happens people are like oh, I think we need to fix this problem. <laughs> yeah right? but i had a doctor yeah. i had a doctor who said oh you know you have a slight uh deviated septum uh we could fix this and it would straighten your nose up <laughs> and i was like um there's nothing wrong with my nose you know like i'm black i'm, I'm jamaican this is how it is <laughs> uh, i'm not going to go through straightening my nose just because it's just a you know very slight de- uh, you know deviation but yeah it's probably not going to help me but thanks for, so. for the tip <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um so when you are completely anosmic your sense of smell is completely gone what are some of the strategies that you use to help you figure out if your food is bad i just like to ask this question i mean i think we all have similar responses but I'm curious to know if you have anything like special that you do. Well, 
I think I might be different because I, I think I may have a different relationship with food as most people. I'm not, since I've had this problem, I'm really not that into food, to be honest. In fact, I think I'd gone an entire month eating Soylent. I don't know if you know what Soylent is. It's kind of like a meal replacement shake. I've, yeah, um, I think I've heard of it. It's like a powder. Like a powder, exactly. I, okay. I, I had just one point, I just given up. I'm like, I can't enjoy the food anyway, so I'm just going to give it up. Uh-huh. I bought, I had my dad ship like uh, a big box of this thing and I just ate that for a month. I just, my fridge had water in it and juice. Um, wow. and that was it. But since I've, I live with my partner now and she's usually the, the de facto nose around here. But uh-huh. the funny thing that happened is um, last week when we were, um, discussing, you know, some of the questions that you may ask on the on the program, and mm-hmm. I was talking to her about this very thing about yeah. So what what really happens when stuff goes right around here? And really, what happens is stuff gets lost in the fridge, and we basically throw out a lot of things. So if yeah. she doesn't detect that something's wrong, she would just we end up throwing out a lot of things in the end. But it so happened that we we have two refrigerators here, one in the basement, and. I just went to check all of the fridges to see what's actually in there. So I could see, did I miss something or did she miss something? Uh-huh. And it turned out that there was actually a fish that I had bought a month ago <laughs> that was in the fridge and she hadn't smelt it either. Whoopsies. So I don't feel too bad. It wasn't you know, bad to that extent, but uh, yeah. it wasn't good. My assumption is I didn't really look at it. I just tossed it, but um, yeah, I just took away her license for having the nose around here after that. Yeah. Well, I had the other, I always eat like half of my food or three quarters of it. And then I leave this last little bit in there because I feel like I'm going to eat it again. Whereas most people would probably just throw it away. I have this weird thing about wasting food. Um, I don't do that. I've always, I've always had plenty of food, so I don't know necessarily where this comes from, but it's even like a running joke in my family that Maybe I like had another life in the Great Depression because I have a hard time throwing things away. So it drives my husband insane because he'll come into the fridge and see like three or four Tupperwares with just like a tiny bit of food left. (laughs) My partner does that. Yeah, my partner does that. She doesn't throw anything out. Yeah. Um, And I like, I mean, I feel like I'm going to get back to it. But as someone with anosmia, I probably just should throw it away. So, so there's, there's something I think that makes, I guess, my experience a little different than mo- most others. And the part of it is because I don't eat meat um, okay. and I don't eat dairy. And those are the two things that usually kind of go bad. I don't eat like mayonnaise and mustard and those kind of things. Um, okay. I'm a really simple, um, you know, oil and vinegar kind of person. And, you know, those things don't go bad. So is that like vegan or is it anything or it's just, <laughs> I, except for eating fish, I'm a vegan, but I do okay. eat fish like once, uh, two weeks, every two weeks, I don't eat a lot of it. And this year we had just decided that we we're going to cut back on, on seafood as well. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. So that kind so, of helps with throwing things out. Correct. I think maybe da- don't go dairy bad. is a big, yeah, dairy is a big problem. And I don't, I haven't, you know, consume dairy in many, many, many years. I definitely like milk. I grew up on it. I think I'm just used to it. And so I always have to pay attention to the dates on there as well. Right. I drink um, oat milk. No. Okay. Yeah, we have that too. Yeah, that's um, a, the biggest thing here. Yeah. So do you think, I know this is kind of, we've already been talking about this a little bit, but 
do you think that your smell disorder and like having the chronic rhinitis and sinusitis your whole life, do you think that's impacted the foods that you choose to eat in any way? Or do you choose to be vegan for other reasons? Um, I had chosen to be vegan for other reasons, but it did. In fact, I, I like spicy food. And even now, mm-hmm. because the few sensations that I can appreciate would be spice, pepper. Mm-hmm. So I, I tend to put spicy things in everything. And also I can, I guess, appreciate a little bit of uh, the sours and, um, you know, sweet things. So all of the food that I cook now, if it doesn't, it usually have one of those kind of slants to it. So something Mm -hmm. spicy, something a little sweet or something sour, it definitely did shape that. So even, even when I could smell, I would have always defaulted to spicy food anyway. I love Indian food and Pakistani food and that kind of thing partially because of the spiciness nice i like spicy food to an extent i can't hang out though there's some people who can eat really spicy and i can't (laughs) yeah i usually bite off more than i could chew i must admit (laughs) Um, well i mean it's like you said you can it feels like a sensation so you can appreciate it more yes if if you ever want to to find a condiment that's that's for someone who doesn't really have a good sense of, of taste or smell um, it's ketchup and mustard mixed together. It's with, oh. with, a, li- with a little bit of pepper, a little bit of hot pepper, some ketchup and a little bit of mustard, and you mix it around. Uh, okay, that sounds yeah. interesting. Yeah, it, it doesn't look as, it, it tastes better than it looks. Um, but as far as your your sense of taste in your, from your tongue, you can't beat that. It's kind of the best of all of the worlds. Okay, but now my question is like, what are you eating that with? Um, I eat it with everything to my partner's chagrin. I, I eat it with rice. I, I would put it on a slice of bread if I could. And, okay, uh, I'll have to I, try that. I put it on tuna. I put it on everything pretty much. Okay. I eat a lot of vegetables and I just plaster it on. Just the way I go. Well, if I try this, I'll have to send you a message to let you know what I think of it. There you go. <laughs> also, while we were talking ahead of time, you mentioned that you have a child. Yeah. So how does your smell disorder impact you as a parent? I, I think the the biggest part of it is I had grown up with lots of cousins and, and such. And I had this idea about parenting, about, you know, holding your child close to you and smelling, you know, your child. And that's kind of creates this bond. And it kind of, you know, I think I could still have, I still have memories of smelling babies when I was a kid. You know, that's mm-hmm. how long those kind of memories last. I don't know what my son smells like. Not a lick. Never smelled him at all. And I, I think that's one of the most um, frustrating parts of it. It's even when he was really small and I would hold him really close and he would sleep on my chest. And except for feeling him and knowing that he's there, I would have no idea he's in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a little bit of a sad part of it. I agree. I don't have, like, we don't have any children um, yet, but that part already makes me sad. Like looking to the future, it's just kind of really upsetting. And I think that you bond with your kids or like even with your loved ones over smell. So it kind of takes a little bit away from that. Yeah. And, and, and even with yourself, I think you had a a guest on a couple, um, maybe a couple months ago, and she had talked about even smelling yourself and Mm -hmm. kind of being grounded in that smell that's one of the other things like I have no idea what I smell like anymore. Mm. And so for me, it's kind of like showering a lot and I don't use 
like you know like cologne because obviously i can't smell it, so i don't know when i'm where i'm using too much so mm-hmm. i'm always kind of like paranoid about you know brushing my teeth and you know showering and you know using my deodorant just to make sure um, yeah it just you just don't have that that's that it is kind of like a grounding of that you know that this is you mm-hmm. i i have no idea like to the extent that if if i have two shirts that i think i may have worn one of them and i can't tell I have to ask my partner to tell me if one of them smell like it has been worn. Like I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and if 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 my children, you know, we have two kids here, and if if their clothes oh, need okay. to change, I would have mm-hmm. no idea if that shirt that they have on um, is smelly. So I would end up just changing it because I have no idea. I don't know if it's clean or dirty. So yeah. you know, if we have to change them, I would just basically change all of it because I have no idea being extra cautious yeah exactly it's a little bit wasteful but i think it's just kind of i'm kind of resigned to it now this is kind of the way that it goes no i've heard as i said like we don't have any kids yet but i have heard from other parents that who've come on the show or even on the facebook groups that they're like paranoid about diapers and like checking their kids butts you know to make sure they're not stinky because you don't want to be the the parent who has a stinky kid or you don't want your child to be like yes. messy and you don't realize so that makes me really nervous to have kids yeah I think I think for me I'm a little lucky because I think um our youngest is on a schedule it seems okay that's <laughs> and good. so we kind of have an idea when it's going to happen and if it doesn't happen then um then we get a, I at least I get a little bit um paranoid but he also stays at home a lot or you know he goes to a day home so we're not like mm-hmm. there in the daytime but on weekends when he's here if we're out, then I basically check a lot. But um, yeah. when he's home, my partner usually is around too. And so she usually help with that. Yeah. yeah, that's good. So another question, when smell comes up for you in your daily life, do you take the time to explain to people that you can't smell? Yeah, so... I think when it had just started to happen, I would. And and I'll go on a little bit of a tangent. Um, I love tea. I, I never really liked coffee for the most part, but I love tea. And when I noticed that I couldn't smell or myself smelling was impaired or tasting was impaired was when I noticed that all of the teas that I bought, I wasn't drinking them anymore. So I have cans and cans and cans of tea stacked up of all of these, you know, flavorful teas that I had bought. Um, everywhere I go, I would buy tea and I'll bring tea back and I'll have a can of it. And, you know, people would come over and I'll take it out and give them tea. And yeah. um, and then since I since I started to have this problem, I, I wouldn't do that anymore. I, or I would make the tea, but I wouldn't have any, obviously, because it's just like hot water for me. I, I really can't tell what it is anymore. And so yeah. at that point, when it had just started back in 2012, 2013, thereabout, I would tell pretty much everyone when it when it came up or when it came to someone talking about the food like we go out for dinner and someone's you know clamoring about how awesome the food is and then i was kind of like yeah i kind of can't really taste it and then they were like what do you mean and then i tried to explain but what i what i noticed is that because people can't people can't simulate it it's not like if you tell someone i can't see and they would close their eyes and they're like okay this is what it feels like you know when you can't see because you can't you you can't simulate inability to taste or smell right um, so it's really hard for people and i i noticed 
I noticed people were just like either they kind of shrug or they would just be kind of totally bewildered. Like, what do you mean? Like that, that is not even possible that you mm-hmm. can't smell. Like they just can't fathom what it would be like. Mm-hmm. Um, so over time, I think I have, I've started to tell people about it a lot less. Um, and part of it was as well is that I think some people would challenge me on it. Um, and I think that was the frustrating part. And I think that's probably the bigger reason why I don't tell people anymore. Um, so you would tell someone, yeah. yeah, I really can't taste that. And they're like, well, you can't taste that, but surely you could taste this. And then they would shove something mm-hmm. else over like, yo, you have to be able to taste that. Like that is so strong. You must smell it. You must taste it. Mm-hmm. And I'm explaining, no, I actually can't. And, you know, you could start to see the people kind of glossing over. And even even friends, I'm not talking about strangers, I'm like even friends. Yeah. Um, like when you go to their houses for dinner or stuff, um, you just I could think just it's, tell. It's so invasive yeah. um, in some scenarios. So, like you're saying, um, I've definitely had situations where like family members or friends or work colleagues or something would say something like that or or would even just put it in my face. Yeah. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like if you compare it, like you were talking about earlier, that's like if someone who was blind said, like, I, I can't see well. Like, maybe they're not completely blind. Maybe they say, like, I can't see well. So in no world would you then shove a portrait in front of their face closer and say, right. like, well, try. Right. So I wonder, and I'm not saying anything. I mean, it's not appreciated by us, you know, those of us who have smell disorders. But I don't want to, like, shame people who don't have anosmia. I just want them to be aware, like, of what they're doing and, like, kind of compare it to <laughs> compare right. it to that. Like, you wouldn't do that to someone who says they can't see. So why are we doing that to someone right. who says they can't smell? You know, it's just as invasive. Right. I, I think it's more closely to what people do when someone says they can't hear. And then people start shouting, you know. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I've seen let me just before. raise my voice. Surely it will rattle your bones and you'll hear it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, I, and I think I've shared this. I'm pretty sure that I've shared previously on a different episode, but there was a situation where I was getting my hair cut and the gentleman who was giving me my haircut was shampooing and conditioning my hair with some scent, some scented shampoo and conditioner. And it was nice, uh, like tingly. So I could tell like that it was something tingly, but I couldn't smell it. He made a comment like, oh, doesn't that smell so nice? And I said, oh, I can't smell it. So he literally put like a daub of shampoo or conditioner in my nose <laughs> like not not below my nose like in your nose. he put his finger uh, in, oh my, in my nose while he was shampooing my head so like you're stuck in a shampoo chair with your head <laughs> underwater and you can't go anywhere and i was just like did, did that just happen under under the cape and you can't even put take your hands out yes yeah, yeah. So, that's that's sad. That's, That's the sad. most violated I've ever felt with anosmia in, in the 10 years that I've been completely anosmic. That was the moment where I was just like, yeah, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it has a lot to do with some form of empathy. I just think most people just can't empathize because they just can't put themselves in that situation. Yeah. They just have no, they have no idea. But I think, I think even more though, what, what I was thinking about the other day was, I have friends who have dietary restrictions or I have friends who have different allergies to different kinds of food. And, you know, when my friends come over, um, if I know someone is allergic to something, I make sure that none of the spices have that in it. And, 
you know, I go mm -hmm. to great lengths to make sure that they can eat and they're healthy and that, you know, they're not going to break out in hives or anything. Yeah. Um, or if someone doesn't take dairy, you know, like I don't, I, I go to great lengths to make sure that the meal doesn't have any form of dairy in it. Yeah. And I use another example. In my line of work, I do a lot of presentations and a lot of times, unbeknownst to many people, there are people in your audience who are colorblind and mm. they can't see uh, some colors. And so when I'm making presentations, I go to great lengths to make sure that I exclude the colors that they know people usually have the problems with and to kind of use shades of blue instead of the red and greens and those kind of things to make sure that um, people can still get a sense of the, 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 dis the distinction between objects or parts of the slide. Yeah. Not once have I ever gone anywhere and someone said, you know, I know you can't have a full appreciation for this food I'm making. So I made you this thing that I know is kind of sweet or sour because I know you can't taste that. Not once. Right. No one has ever said, I did this because I know you have this impairment and yeah. I hope it might help. No, not a single time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have two times, actually. And now that you're saying that, I can tell you like how appreciative and important that was to me. The one was an example. I was in a Monell, um, a Monell center, anosmia awareness video. And when we went to shoot the video, it was myself and a woman named Marge Rosner, who's also in that video. We went to Philadelphia and we're at the house for the, the video shoot. And it was the evening before the video shoot and the lady from Monell brought us snacks that were specifically because we both were anosmic and I wanted to cry wow. in a good, in a good way. Yeah, I wanted, I just, it was like spicy hummus and like carrots. And I don't know that she knows how important that was. So yeah, wow. I kind of challenged the people in our lives to maybe make a point of that because it was so special to me that she like said, well, I know that you guys, don't have as much of a sense of, of smell and, and, or any and as much of a sense of flavor. So like, here's some crunchy stuff. Here's some spicy stuff. Here's some cool crackers. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Wow. Um, yeah. I want to give that person a hug. <laughs> right. Yeah, and then so. the second the second instance was there was actually like a kind of a gathering again over near Washington, D.C. for anosmia. It was a dinner from Monell. Um, that I was also able to attend and they also have like a menu focused on people with anosmia. So those things are so important and maybe everybody in our lives should challenge themselves to do that for us. I don't know where I'm going with this, but <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint, everyone. Yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah it was so it nice. lovely and special. Yeah. I, I would certainly appreciate it if anyone is listening who, uh, was planning to make me a meal. Yeah. <laughs> I would appreciate it. <laughs> One goal I'd like to have just like for, for the community um, is to have more kind of meetups and things with everyone. I know we all live all over the world, so like in our own respective areas, but I think it would be cool to just, maybe we don't meet at a coffee shop because right. that can kick off someone's parosmia and like maybe we don't appreciate the, the coffee, but we could do something all together where we can and appreciate it. Right. I, I only know one other person who has this problem um, and he only has it for he only has it for maybe a few months out of the year. And that's because he's on some heavy medication. Oh. <laughs> um, I have a friend who I worked with and he 
has um, asthma and he has some other problems that he went to a doctor and they were doing some, he had, they read some research about eosinophils I mentioned earlier. And yeah. so he's on this type of medication called biologicals and essentially kind of shut down part of your immune system that cause inflammation. Um, and so when he's on that, um, I think his symptoms go away. But my the doctor I saw last time said that they didn't think that was the case for me. Yeah. Um, but except for that person, um, I don't know anyone else who has a... To like get together with, yeah. Correct, correct. I lit- I've, And I'm just thinking back in my life. I know people who have sinus problems, but none of them has ever reported that they can't smell or taste anything. Ever. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe we can make a virtual community somehow. Like virtual hang up, hangouts. I don't know how that would work, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, there's, a, there's a movie theater... At least there was a movie theater in Florida um, where they would spray water from under the seat. Um, So like when you're in a movie and if there's like a sensation of like waves splashing or something, there'll be like a mist of water that would come out and you would feel it, you know, the the moisture in the air. And I was reading an article and they were talking about the future of television. And Uh one of what they, one of the new features that there were someone, I think is probably still working on it somewhere in the world is to be able to, transfer the sense the, the the smell from the scene so that you feel it gets like you're there a little bit so it's a little bit more realistic yeah <laughs> so you basically go to this movie theater and you know you kind of smell like you're in this you know bar or whatever yeah it is. Um, i've heard of that before too i think that would be interesting yeah but and I mean, then it, it just would apply to us <laughs> right i mean it's not yeah. gonna work for us but maybe that we could do like movement like they can rumble our seats or something if there's like an earthquake scene <laughs> exactly I don't know. so this next question i always ask everyone this and i think it's become one of my favorite questions but do you self-identify as having a disability i i don't think i don't think the word disability is a useful term anymore i think I, I don't. I don't think it's as useful as it probably should be. Um, I, it's not a positive term. I think whenever you mention that, I think I don't think most of society kind of look at that in a in any positive way or, at all. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I, I personally wouldn't say that I have a disability just because of that, and also because I think in the past when disability when the term disability actually meant that you need to have some special accommodation or there needs to mm-hmm. be some done in order to improve your quality of life or your experience i don't think for for us who have you know this olfactory problems i don't think there's anything much that will be done so i don't think if if there wasn't going to be any improvement in my quality of life as a result of taking on this uh, this this uh, designation then i don't personally don't think it's it's necessarily useful but i i do understand though that the way for example, funding for research and those things go. Having the 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 designation as a disability may help towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, but point, I don't yeah. know if it's I don't know if it's guaranteed. Um, yeah. And and that just makes it a little bit sad. I wish if it if it was going to guarantee that you know you would get more attention in terms of funding and prioritization of, you know, even when you go to the doctor, if you told someone that hey I woke up and I can't see anymore and they're like oh you've got suddenly gone blind. We got to get you in and we got to take a look at this right away. Like when I have a problem and I go to the doctor, at least here in Canada, it takes six, seven, eight, nine months to get into an ENT. Like really? just because I can't, yeah, just because wow. I can't smell, it doesn't get me any prioritization over someone who has seasonal allergies right. at all, at all. And so 
Maybe if it's designated as a disability, it will cause a slight change in that. But in terms of discomfort, I think is really probably one of the things that they would look at. I don't think it's going to change that either because except for me not being able to enjoy life to the fullest, maybe someone who has seasonal allergies, you know, would be having a rougher go at it because they're constantly sneezing and coughing and, you know, whatever else. So yeah. I don't I don't know if, if having a this designation of for disability, I don't think it's going to change much except for maybe research funding and something that's, you know, in a larger scale of things. Yeah, that's a good perspective. That's why I like asking this question. <laughs> yeah. Get I, everyone's different viewpoints on it and learn and grow from it. Yeah, I, I did. I did think about this though uh, years ago. And I did ask someone if 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 I, I would qualify for a, a parking pass so I could park close to buildings. <laughs> they said no. Oh, oh well. trying to milk it, huh? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think it was kind of tongue in cheek <laughs> thing, but um, yeah. Yeah, I, someone had come out of a car and, you know, there didn't seem to be anything wrong. They ran into the store and they ran back out and, you know, they have this thing. And I wasn't sure if it was their car, maybe it was someone else's car they were just using. And I'm like, yeah. wait a second, I don't, I've lost two of my sense, my senses. Shouldn't I have one of those two? Yeah. And yeah, the answer is no, it's not a, the world doesn't see it that way. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. What would you like people who do not have a smell disorder to know about what it's like for you having one? It's, it's, I think the sense of smell or this, or, or the sense of taste is kind of like the dessert of, of the senses. Um, it's like you have a, a meal and then you have dessert for us. Mm -hmm. We get no dessert at all. <laughs> um, and I was trying to come up with, with different analogies that I could use to explain what it's like. And the other one I came up with is um, here we have the CBC radio and CBC mm -hmm. is on AM and it's on FM. And if you listen to the same station in AM and FM, it's like night and day, just in terms of the, the feel and the, 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 the ambience it creates when you listen to it. It's, it's a very, the life that we live is distinctly different than everyone else because there's so much of the richness that we are not being able to, uh, we're not able to appreciate at yeah. all. Um, that is a good analogy. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of like people have to... I think people just have to be a little bit more, I don't want to say sympathetic, but maybe empathetic, spend a little bit more time listening to us um, and try to understand how, imagine what this could feel like. I don't think most people give it much thought at all. Um, yeah. Even the people that we know, they just kind of take it as a, it's just a thing. Um, yeah. So I think, I think if people just kind of think of it a little bit more, maybe that would help. Um, I agree. So at least even if they can't appreciate it for themselves, but they won't kind of shove the sauce in your nose just to make sure that you can smell it right. because it won't change anything. We still can't smell. And then this next question is for you. You've had a functioning sense of smell sometimes growing up, but if you could have a sense of smell and for you, I want to say one that works normally, yes. whatever normally is for most people. But if you could have a sense of smell that you had all the time, would you want one? Yes. Um, I think, I think yes, but I would also say as well that I would rather have all or nothing. <laughs> um, right. I, I, I would rather have all or nothing. And right now I'm, I'm stuck very close to nothing. Um, but it's so close that I'm not quite sure if it's getting better or getting worse. It's just, it's just enough to give you hope, but nothing really changes. And, and it's very frustrating. So if, mm -hmm. if I could get 
my sense of smell back, I would definitely, definitely want it. No doubt yeah. about that. Definitely. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share? Um, the, you know, the only other thing that I've been thinking about is, at least for me, the the symptoms that 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 I have. Um, you know, I I think I've just accepted that now as part of my life. Uh, but where I really have the most the most challenge or the biggest challenge is dealing with the medical the medical professions. That's where I really think there needs to be improvement. At least I don't know, I don't quite know what it's like in the U.S. To, in this regard, but I, I wish there was a different way to go about diagnosing and treating people with our kind of ailments. Mm. Um, I don't I don't perceive based on the many doctors that I've been to, I don't perceive that there's a standard approach to diagnosing these kind of problems. Right. Um, I think there is a a set of tests that they do. Um, but beyond that set of tests, I don't think most doctors either have an interest or have the skill sets to go beyond that. And I think many of the doctors who know that they have this limitation should not take patients who have anosmia or parosmia or these kind of problems. And they should stop prescribing these nasal sprays because they are just annoying. And I've also read in some research that some of these nasal sprays may actually cause um, parosmia and anosmia. Mm. And so if, if it's not clear that the medication is actually specifically for this kind of an issue, not necessarily for seasonal allergies, but for these bigger problems, then they shouldn't recommend that we, you know, take them every single day for the rest of our lives um, because right. I think it may cause more harm than good. The, the bigger problem that I have with the overall approach to our treatment is, you know, there is a thing in, in business terms um, that you, you may have heard is called um, root cause analysis. So root cause analysis is basically saying, here's a problem that exists, and we're going to trace this problem back from its manifestation all the way back to every potential cause. And then I try to rule them out one by one and identifying exactly where the problem is. Mm-hmm. Known doctor that I've ever met has ever taken that approach to try to understand why, why I don't have a proper sense of smell or taste. So it doesn't seem like they're trying to resolve my problem. It seems like they're basically going off something that was in a book. So here is a set of problems and here are some treatments that you, you provide and you match up these symptoms with one of these treatments. And if the symptoms match, then you give them this nasal spray or you give them this tablet. But for the most part, and I think I have not, uh, the same friend that I told you I worked with that has asthma, et cetera. He recommended perhaps I go to Cleveland Clinic or um, uh, what's that other clinic in the U.S.? Um, there's another clinic um, where they have like six doctors that you meet with and they kind of diagnose you simultaneously for different from different perspectives. For uh, smell loss? Um, not just for smelling. Um, just for Mayo, anything? The Mayo oh, the Mayo Clinic. clinic. Okay, Mayo. yeah, yeah. Mayo. Yeah. So I was even thinking, perhaps that's maybe a better approach. Um, he has also said that um, his doctor would never talk to his other doctor, and they were both trying to treat him for parts of the same thing until mm-hmm. one day he just got very upset and he insisted that unless they're going to have a conversation, he's not going to see any of them anymore. And yeah. in my experience as well, none of my two doctors, my allergist and my ENT, has never had a conversation ever. Um, I don't even think they've ever spoken to my primary care doctor. So it does seem like everyone's taking a very disparate approach to this, and I don't think it's really helping. And I yeah. think for people who wake up one day and suddenly they can't smell anything anymore, 
unless you're going to kind of do that root cause analysis to go from one end of you know the problem and trying to trace all of the potential causes and trying to identify one of them that could be the most likely situation then don't see us at all because it's just really frustrating when we go from doctor to doctor to doctor mm. and they give us no spray nasal spray nasal spray tablet decongestion and i have I've asked the question is this really for my condition and they said well it will help you with the seasonal allergy part and i'm like the seasonal allergy part comes and goes man I really want to smell. I want to taste. Right. I want to be able to appreciate life. That's the underlying problem that I'm trying to solve. And so we spend so much time treating these basic symptoms. And beyond that, at least in my experience, there is no other care for us at all. And I think for me, that's the piece that's really a bummer. And yeah. not to mention the fact that I have to wait six, seven, eight, nine months to get into a, an ENT. Yeah. And then when I go there, 99% of the people are, are sneezing. And I had to wait in line with, with 100 people who are sneezing because it's spring. And I'm telling the doctor that, listen, doctor, it's, this is not a spring thing for me. It's I can't smell and I can't taste. And it's very, yeah. very, very frustrating. And I don't think there's any prioritization between the two. I think we're kind of locking together. And maybe the, the professions need to be split. And so people who have seasonal allergies to go to a different set of doctors and doctors who really want to explore the real problems behind people not having the ability to smell or taste, I think they should be a different discipline that right. um, they should focus on those bigger cases. Yeah. So overall, just we're lumped in with maybe problems that look similar on the surface, but underneath are not similar at all. Not similar at all. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that makes so, sense. And I, and I think if that happens, uh, maybe research will be better because it'll be more focused um, and maybe the quality of care would be better. So, you know, like in a, in a given year, I would, if I go to three doctors, the first thing that they try to do is to give me a, a nasal spray. Mm. That's the very first default action. Or they tell you, oh, you got to use a neti pot every single day. Well, neti pot isn't necessarily going to get mad. I have never seen any research that shows that anyone has gotten their sense of smell back from using a neti pot. I've never seen it. I know it helps. It does hydrate your nose, your nasal cavity. And I know that's true. Um, but in terms of the real problem, I've never heard of it solving the problem. Um, but that's what they say. You got to use an antibody every single day and you got to take this spatial spray. Yeah. Uh, so for me, that's the most frustrating parts. And so if there are any doctors out there who are listening, I really wish that they would separate the people who have seasonal allergy problems from the people who have other congenital problems or other problems that don't really have any clear diagnosis. And some doctors may deal with some and some doctors should deal with the others that could spend the time and the effort. And so they could accumulate knowledge. Um, so me going to a doctor that spends most of his time, you know, prescribing seasonal allergy medication, and there's no accumulation of knowledge there in terms of furthering the research or, you know, treatment options for people who have other serious problems. They just kind of get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. So I really think that might, might help as well. Well, that's a good, a good call out to see if there's anything that we can move forward and help, I don't know, help that field move in that direction. That would be more beneficial for us. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. My final question for you is how can listeners connect with you if they want to get in touch to talk to you? Well, I've created an email account for this. Uh, it's smellman, S-M-E-L-L man at protonmail.com. And okay. I'm, I'm really interested in a doctor who lives in Canada or practices in Canada who may have some insight I will actually travel to any province in Canada if there's a doctor that 
may have some insight to helping to treat my condition. Oh, that's uh, awesome. I, I, I really would. And so, you know, I'm hoping someone might reach out to you. Might reach out. I would really appreciate it. Yeah. Can you tell me it again? So it's smellman at protonlink.com? Proton Mail. Proton Mail. Okay. Yes. Proton Mail. Yes. Okay. And I'll definitely include that in the episode um, notes. So if anyone is interested, they can get in touch with you. Thank you well, so much. Th- yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me today. It's been really nice to talk to you and kind of get your perspective. And the goal of the show is to continue to share our stories. Thank you so much. I think your show has done that to a great extent. I've never heard any other program or there's a, there's no other research that, you know, or resource that's available to so many people, you know, as quickly and easy as, you know, downloading a podcast. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information that I've gotten from your program and, you know, it's, it's invaluable. Thank, Thank you so you much. So for doing much. Yeah. yeah. That makes me really happy. Every time yeah. I hear that, I'm like, Oh, that's why I do this. <laughs> Yes, I, I hope you would write a book, a, a, accumulate all of the information you've gotten from all of the different programs and write a book about it. You should do it. Oh, that's a good go. idea. I yes. did write an article. That was like a, a, a short story, a shorter piece. But a book is the, maybe that should be in my wheelhouse. That's a good idea. <laughs> do it. I'll buy it. Thank you to Colin for sharing his story with us and for coming on the podcast. If you would like to connect with him, you can reach him via email at smellman at protonmail.com. As he mentions at the end, he's especially interested in chatting with any doctors in Canada who may be able to provide some insight into his ongoing conditions. If you have a story that you'd like to share, or if you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, please email me at thesmellpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at The Smell Podcast and visit online at thesmellpodcast.com. I'm always interested in sharing listener stories. Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Smell Podcast if you listen using iTunes. Reviews are helpful because they allow others to find the show. And finally, if you would like to financially support the podcast, you can do so by clicking on the link in the episode description. I appreciate your support. And a huge shout out to everyone who currently contributes to the show because your generosity is what makes this haul possible. So until next time, have a great day. Thank you.